Good morning, church. It is a joy to bring this word to you this morning. So let's jump straight in by looking to scripture. We're going to be reading Philippians 3, 10 to 17. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. This is the word of God. So yesterday we celebrated Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas is a divine revelation. But now, on the day after Christmas, as we're here this morning on Boxing Day, we face a new year. The question I want to explore with you is, what does it mean to live in light of Christmas? Hearing the divine revelation that is Christmas, now experiencing a divine renovation in our lives. Through the open Bible, in which we read of the life which was the light of the world, and the renewing spirit who enables us to apply gospel teaching to our lives. Through God's word, we can hope for divine renovation and we can have access to it. But working towards divine renovation is more than just a set of New Year's resolutions. I know many of us might not like that idea of setting goals each January. But G.K. Chesterton, the British author, was a little more fond of the idea. He said this, The object of a new year is not that we should have a new year, it is that we should have a new soul and a new nose, new feet, a new backbone, new ears and new eyes. Unless a man starts afresh about things, he will certainly do nothing effective. So whether you choose to set New Year's goals or not, we can certainly see the appeal as to why so many people do. We all ask ourselves questions like, who do I want to become? Who do I want to be? These questions point to something in us where we say, I know I'm not the finished article just yet. I know there's something more. I know I'm made for more of this. And that's why all over the city over the next few days, people are making resolutions as they too know there's something more. For most, whether we make resolutions or not, our goals we all have tend to be external. Maybe exercise, healthy eating, joining the gym, saving money, learning to finally play guitar. But what about the internal issues? What about all that takes place within our interior lives? Each of those external goals are connected to an inward desire that we have in the heart, which is why the Bible is always going after the heart. Proverbs 4.23 states, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Society teaches us from a very young age to choose your career, follow your dream, discover life hacks, and then you'll truly know how to live. Or maybe, once you're married, everything will be fine. All of us are in pursuit of something the most important thing in our lives. This thing will then go on to change us, change us for good, or maybe change us for bad. It all depends on what that thing is. The author G.K. Bill, in his book, We Become What We Worship, put it perfectly. 
He said, what you revere, you resemble, either for ruin or restoration. Whatever we revere, whatever we admire, we imitate. Whatever it is we love, we become like it. That's how it works. Sin is not only about doing wrong things, but it's also about misplaced loves, misdirected worship, but also misdirected goals and desires. So as we approach this new year, and as we leave Christmas 2021 behind, what's next? What's your plan? What's your strategy? What's your goal? Perhaps, just like a misdirected worship, we might need to relook at our goals, our attitudes, and ultimately where we look to for growth. Or rather than growth, where we look to for divine renovation. So what do I mean by divine renovation? I have always loved the TV show Grand Designs. For those that haven't seen it, the presenter follows an individual or a couple on a journey in building their dream home. The level of craftsmanship, hours of work, intricate design details and thousands of small decisions that those individuals need to make in order for them to create their dream home is beyond impressive. Sometimes they're starting afresh with a new plot of land, but more often than not, they're renovating a house which already stands. A house which, other previous, which over previous years has been full of memories, full of erosion, full of stories, but also full of past renovation mistakes. Each time I watch an episode of Grand Designs, I'm struck by this idea of renovation for our own spiritual lives. What would it look like if each of us were to be continuously chasing after the renovation of our spiritual lives? Not to simply have a shiny house at the end to dwell in, but instead continual renovation, which is internal and involves just as much effort as those houses I see on TV. Not external renovation, like the gym or a beauty salon, but instead internal renovation of the heart, where the outcome is to look more and more like Jesus Christ. This is the idea of divine renovation. These houses on the TV show take years to plan, prepare and then build. Not just a DIY quick edit, not just a few changes behind the scenes based on the latest fashion, but a true renovation that brings about significant renewal. To repurpose the exact name of the TV show Grand Designs, God has Grand Designs for you and I. And through divine renovation, which we have access to because of the birth of Christ in that manger, we're able to step into these Grand Designs. You and I can pursue this kind of growth and change because of what Christ has already accomplished for us. We see renovation in our spiritual lives, not as a way to earn Christ's grace, but in light of the fact that you and I already have it. How incredible is that? And as we start 2022, church, this is what I want to be chasing after. I want to experience the life that God intended for me. I want to experience all God created me for, and I desperately want the same for you. In today's passage, we hear from the Apostle Paul, who has written this letter to the Philippine church almost 2,000 years ago. He's explaining in this passage what it's like to have a relationship with God and how it actually changes you. He's giving the church a model for divine renovation. And I don't know about you, but spending time reading Paul's letter, I want in. I'm not just going to let this year happen to me. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to strive after this picture of divine renovation in my life. And you and I can do just that by following the three calls to action Paul leaves for us in this passage. Firstly, he says that divine renovation calls us to let go. Second, divine renovation calls us to take hold. And third, divine renovation calls us to look to Christ. So we're called to let go, to take hold and to look to Christ. Let's explore a bit more.
So starting with letting go and taking hold. On this doorstep of a new year, it seems kind of obvious that there's going to be certain things that we want to leave behind. Maybe the memory of COVID, the countless lateral flow tests, maybe even England's Euro penalties miss. We want to start afresh and walk forward into all God has for us, not clinging to the things of the past. But some things are harder to leave behind and let go. Maybe regrets, anxieties, concerns, hopes. But there's something powerful about laying all these things down at the feet of the cross. There might be things we need to leave and lay down, but also there might be things we need to pick up as we enter 2022. And this is that idea that Paul's talking of, of letting go and taking hold. So let's reread Philippians 3 verses 13 to 14. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind, and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's funny here because Paul says one thing I do, but he's actually listing two things. Anyway, that's irrelevant. Paul's basically saying here that there are things he would like to leave behind and he wants to press onwards. He wants to move forward into what is ahead. So first up, divine renovation calls us to let go. Forgetting what is behind is a glance at the Apostle's past life, whether in regards to his past religious provocatives or in reference to his past experiences as a Christian. The successes, the failures, the triumphs and the miseries which probably came to him as an Apostle. But also prior to him becoming an Apostle, maybe his previous career. He was named Saul and many of you will know he was a persecutor of Christians. Somebody who would beat them. He would be present when Christians were stoned and tortured. Maybe these were the things that he would have wanted to forget and leave behind. (laughs) At the risk of sounding too much like Princess Elsa from Frozen, there are moments in our life where we have to let it go. We have to let go of things, except that some things happen and we need to let go and move on. It's gone. It's done. It's in God's power and strength. We have to let it go. To move forward, it's often necessary to let go of the past. But... As well as letting go of our embarrassing moments and possibly our failures over the last year, we're also called to let go of those big wins, the highlights, the areas of pride. As we look to verse 14, we start to see the notion of merit is entirely excluded by the reminder that God's enabling call and persevering grace are required before the race can be completed. Our task is to remain worthy of his calling. We see more about that in 2 Thessalonians. And we're also to press on to the finishing of a course with patience and courage looking to Jesus. We read more about that in Hebrews 12. Paul stated in the first part of this letter that the acceptance and approval from God that you and I need is simply a gift. You and I cannot earn it through our performance. We never could and we never will. It's not based on what I can do. It's based on what God has done for me. We can never earn it through our religious passion, social position, or maybe even our moral performance. You can never earn the favour of God. But although our sin separates us from God, that penalty that we all owe for our sin was transferred to Jesus when he died on that cross. And when you put your faith in him, it's his perfect performance that is applied to you and I. God looks at us as though you have never sinned. God accepts us because he looks at us through the perfection of his son Jesus. It's in that moment that we are fully alive. 
It's evident from verse 15 that this discussion on Christian perfection was set against a background of controversy. In the Philippian church, there were those who tended to think differently, i.e. to adopt a different viewpoint from that given in Paul's teaching and then to act upon it. Clearly, there were some who were teaching that it was possible to be perfect in a final sense of here and now. Much like today, where secular culture tells us we can look perfect with our Instagram filter. We can maybe all become rich and famous if we have the right ideas and get lucky. With plastic surgery, we can all have that perfect body we've always dreamed of. That's what society is telling us, that we are able to be perfect here and now if we work harder, try harder, and possibly get lucky at the same time. But that is not what Paul is saying here. For those focused on carrying forward an idea of perfection and holding tightly to past achievements, Paul does not argue. He doesn't create a list of points as to why that mindset is wrong. He simply says, God will make clear to you. Wow, Paul is so confident that the truth has been stated, that he invokes the aid of God to illuminate the minds and create the behaviour of those who do not share his conviction. We see more about this in Galatians 5. We must move past the mentality of performance-based worth and leave the idea of Christian perfection behind. But if we leave that mentality behind, where can you and I go to to look for a new one? As we look to verse 17, we see that to anyone who might object that the standard of conduct was not clear, Paul replies with words which set before his readers a living pattern of behaviour by which they may shape their lives. This is his own example, and the example of those whose lives were based on his. For us, the pattern of divine renovation is not embodied in a written code of precepts covering every possible area of life, but instead in a life, preeminently the life of the Lord Jesus, and secondarily in the lives of his earliest and closest followers. For us today, access to that pattern is possible through the open Bible in which we read of a life which was the light of the world and the renewing spirit who enables us to apply gospel teaching to our modern situations. This couldn't be clearer. We are to pick up our Bibles and root ourselves in scripture. So here we have this incredibly clear call to action to spend more time in God's word. But it can be easy to water down our response, possibly, with phrases like, well, I tried a Bible reading plan last year and it didn't really stick. Or modern life is far too busy to really spend time in God's word each day. Or maybe I achieved a reading plan back in 2018, so I don't need to do it again. Paul addressed these mindsets with his second call to action. Here, Paul explains that divine renovation secondly calls us to take hold. It's interesting, as in this context, Paul is talking about previous achievements. He's talking about things he has achieved so far, but he's saying he wants more. He's saying no matter his experience of God, what he's seeing, he wants to see more. He wants to press on into what God is doing. He wants to experience more of Jesus and become more like Jesus. He wants to experience more of the resurrection life Jesus revealed. He said it twice, not sure if you noticed. He said, when I press on. He's saying here, when I gather up everything in my life and aim it for one thing, I take all the different bits of my life and I aim it in one specific direction. And as a result, there's an incredible power, a force, an influence and love that comes out of Paul's life. We too might want to leave behind previous experiences. 
Maybe for some of us, we might have achieved certain things in our work or relationships and so on, which is great, but we may be feeling that's not enough. It would be awful if we all had this sense of, I've arrived, and felt like we didn't need to move forward and to continually press on. Sometimes it's easy to get to that place and feel comfortable where we have the attitude of, I know how life works, I know how Christianity works, I know what it's all about, and we can sometimes settle as a Christian. But Paul, when he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, he's warning against this. He's warning against them settling and becoming kind of dull in their faith. He's especially addressing a group called the Antinomians. And these are a group of people who believe that they are in God's grace and they will simply be forgiven by God for whatever they do. They are a group of people who believe there's no need for standards, no need for discipline, no further efforts are necessary because they've arrived. Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, but he's addressing this group of people who don't see a need to push forward. He's calling them to press on, to aim to be more like Jesus, to take on more of that life and to experience more of this resurrection life Jesus has revealed. Paul gives a very clear call to be active, to do something. In verse 12, he says to press on. In verse 13, he says to reach forward. In verse 14, he says to press on toward. Paul uses this athletic imagery, like a runner who knows that a backward glance at ground already covered will only slow his progress towards the finish. Paul says that if he forgets what is behind and stretches out towards what is ahead, he might be able to complete the race and win the prize. When Paul uses athletic imagery elsewhere in scripture, the subject is often his apostles. We see this in 1 Corinthians 9. They are his focus here too. Paul points to this idea that he refuses to rest on his past successes and press on. And you and I should do the same. So we need to pick up the example we've been given. We need to press on in aiming for one thing. And we need to avoid settling and becoming dull in faith, thinking, I've already arrived. Finally, divine renovation calls us to look to Christ. J.C. Ryle, the author of Holiness, writes, Sanctification is the same with regeneration, the same with the renovation of the whole man. Sanctification is the forming and the framing of the new creature. It is the implanting and engraving of the image of Christ upon the poor soul. It is what the Apostle Paul breathed after. The implanting and engraving of the image of Christ upon you and I. What a beautiful goal to have as we enter into the new year. This is what you and I truly need. If none of our earthly hopes for 2022 were achieved, but we personally saw this implanting and engraving of the image of Christ upon our souls, it would be a year well lived, a successful year. But we're not doing this alone and we're not starting from scratch. We're not doing this alone because we're invited to experience more of the resurrection life Jesus has revealed together and not apart. Paul knew that we would need help. Rather than just taking his word for it, he explains in verse 17 how we have practical examples we can follow, others we can look to for wisdom on this. We should all first and foremost look to Christ, but we can also follow the example of those Christ is at work in. Disciples and present-day Christians. Look again to verse 17. 
Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul couldn't be clearer. But also, we're not starting from scratch. Paul makes one request clear. The believers in Philippi could not turn back from the progress they have already made in living lives worthy to the gospel. The Greek verb that the NIV translates is a rare word for Paul, stoicheo. He uses it only three other times in his letters. In these other occurrences, the word refers to living the life of faith, Romans 4, a life characterised by the Spirit's fruit, Galatians 5, and a life that God himself has recreated, Galatians 6. God has begun a good work in the Philippians, and many of these qualities are evident among them. But Paul does not want the slight deviations from the truth that may be present among them to destroy the progress they have already made. God is and will continue doing a beautiful thing across London and within our church. As we let go, take hold and look to him. We can see more of that. We can see a continuance of the progress we have made in living lives worthy of the gospel. So the key is we're doing all of this in Christ. We don't pursue personal renovation because of Christ. We pursue personal renovation in Christ. We can so easily stop at the revelation of Christmas and forget to pursue personal renovation in Christ. So friends, whether you are here today as a believer, as someone starting to explore faith, or maybe somewhere in between, we have an invitation this morning to pursue divine renovation in Christ because Christ is enough. To close, Philip Carey puts it perfectly. He said, What the gospel of Christ does is give us Christ, and that is enough. We can let everything else be what it is. Hard work, worthwhile work, works of love, etc. But that doesn't give us Christ. The gospel does. The gospel gives us Christ the way a wedding vow gives you a bridegroom. God means it for our good. For he means us to have Christ, his own beloved son, and that is enough to live on for eternity. The divine revelation of Christ this Christmas not only calls us to act, but gives us a roadmap through scripture of how to act. As we set out to seek divine renovation of our lives in God's word, through letting go, taking hold and continually looking to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you that we can pursue this kind of growth and change because of what Christ has already accomplished for us on the cross. Help us each to seek divine renovation in our spiritual lives as we move forward into 2022, by each of us picking up and swimming in your word this year. But help us to see it not as a way to earn Christ's grace, but in light of the fact that we have already received it in him. In Jesus' name, amen.